You're listening to The Marlowe Podcast. Each week, we bring on experts to help you navigate your career. Typically, by the time a company has identified that they have a problem with culture, they really have a problem. Well, today I have with me Jen Peatman, who's going to talk about culture from the top down. Thanks for taking the time to be with me today. I'd love to get started by learning a little bit more about your background and you know what you've been up to over the past few years. Definitely. Well, thank you for having me, Mary. I've been excited to do this. Um, so for the last um, 17 years, I have been in HR. Probably about the last 12 of those years, I've headed up HR for large organizations. Um, the last five to six years, it's been specifically in technology. Um, about a year ago, I left to start my own company, and now I do full-time, primarily executive coaching um, throughout all industries, although it's primarily focused in, in the technology sector. Great. And today, we're planning to talk about culture. So as you've moved through your career, what is it about culture that has been interesting for you, and um, why is this such an important topic? Well, that's a great question. And what's been interesting about it to me has been that it's largely misunderstood, meaning that when people talk about culture, if you were to ask them to give you a definition of what that meant, you could ask five different people and they would all have five different answers. Um, so I find it interesting because it's such an important part of a company. Um, it's the foundation for all employees' behaviors and beliefs and values. Um, and so it really is one of the most misunderstood parts of a company, but also one of the most important. And how do you define culture? What, what is culture from your perspective? Yeah, so culture to me is the common fabric that unites all employees um, and has them sort of marching in the same direction. So it encompasses all of, as I said previously, behaviors, beliefs, and values is sort of the technical tradition, traditional definition of the, of the term. So that's kind of how I would define it. And as companies, so we'll jump into this a little bit more slowly here in a second, but as companies are thinking about culture, you know, what, what is it that usually bring, causes them to bring somebody else in from the outside to help them refine? What obstacles are they typically facing at that point? Well, typically by the time a company has identified that they have a problem with culture, they really have a problem. <laughs> yeah. And what I mean is they're probably seeing, um, seeing unwanted behaviors or instances within the company. So for example, um, there may be instances where there are employees who have had disagreements. There may be complaints to human resources. Um, there, may be, there may be behaviors that we would just consider to not be appropriate in the workplace. Um, those are all examples. But generally, by the time that you realize you have a problem with your culture, um, you're going to have to put a lot of work in to correct it. Um, usually culture does, isn't identified as an issue until there are significant problems in the organization. And of course, we've seen this with some of the companies that have come through over the past few years. This has been a trend where a company either grows too quickly or they have leadership that is taking the culture in a different way or maybe ignoring culture altogether. Um, have you seen some trends in this? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said generally what I've seen, particularly in the startup world, is that companies are usually financially strapped to get the product off the ground and to get customers, right? Because none of us make a paycheck if we don't have customers. And so generally culture gets ignored by and large. And so what I've seen, um, we could all probably point to it. Um, we, we have a great example that happened over the last year and that was a huge company that's very successful called Uber. 
And because likely what happened is there wasn't enough emphasis put on culture to begin with and expected behaviors and the ways that employees engaged each other and communicated with each other, um, we saw some, frankly, some bad behavior that actually began to impact the success of the company. And we saw the same thing with Cinefits a few years ago, um, where they ran into some problems. And, and of course, we could list a few others as well, where you have these people who are coming into the organization with an expectation around it being fun and laid back and, you know, potentially other ideas around the culture. Um, and so where does the shaping of culture start? Is it, you know, with the hiring process? Is it some other... Yeah. That's a great question. And, and you're absolutely right that if you do not establish, so especially particularly in the technology sector and the startup Silicon Valleys of the world, what you see is um, employees who want to have what they would call a great employee company culture. But unfortunately, even that has to be defined. And so, so what you see a lot of the time is, is, is bad behavior on the part of employees. Um, so in order to, I'm sorry, repeat the, I, I went off is, track there. Yeah, no, it's okay. Is it, is it happening at the recruitment process where, you know, at, as a small company, you're recruiting people who are like you and then it, it, like, where does it go off track? Yeah. So that's a great question. So it should be happening at the hiring stage, but even before that, one of the things that I encourage, especially startups or small companies to do is for the senior leadership to be hundred percent aligned with what the cultural values are. And so what that means is everybody needs to really vet. I think there's an assumption among senior leaders that they know what they're all talking about and that they don't actually have to get down into the weeds and identify that. So when I say alignment about culture, I actually mean a discussion of the values that are expected from employees, from leadership, that, that, that you know, influence the decisions that the company makes. Um, and, and therefore influences the kinds of hiring decisions and the behavior of the employees. And every time we see a new leader come into one of these organizations that you mentioned before, their job is to essentially assess the culture. So the current state of the culture, figure out what they want to do and then bridge that gap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What unfortunately I end up see happening frequently is the middle level of the companies. So the majority of the hiring managers are the ones who are either making decisions around what they value in new employees. What, you know, so, so for example, they're sort of like from the middle of the company, they're trying to assess and understand what values they want in these new employees. Well, the problem there is if there's a lack of alignment. So not only are these middle managers deciding for themselves in their own hiring decisions what values they're going to hire to, they, there's just no, there's no connection from senior leadership on down. So it becomes a disjointed organization um, and, and behaviors generally follow. And that's exactly what I wanted to talk about today of how do we get those senior leaders to get involved earlier and more aggressively, maybe aggressive isn't the right word, but get involved at that high level um, right away. And you know, before we jump into that, my, my initial question is, when is the time right for that, right? If you, you mentioned growing startups, and I can imagine a startup of, say, 20 or 30 people um, comes in thinking, oh, we can deal with culture later, but before you know it, there are 100 people and then 500 people, and at that yeah. point, you've sort of lost a, a grip on it. So do you recommend that companies think about this as early as the first employee or when, when is the right time? Well, that's the gold standard. If, I mean, ideally we would have a founder or 
co-founders of a company and one of the initial conversations next to what kind of a, like what is our product what are we going to build is what kind of a company do we want to have and to me that speaks to culture that speaks to how are we going to make decisions what are our values going to be but in reality that's generally not how it happens what you mentioned 20 30 employees is is a little bit more common in terms of when you see people start to focus on culture, unless of course the company's founded by HR leaders, which generally doesn't happen. We, we actually assessed our culture before we even agreed to be co-founders. Well <laughs> so done. I'm with you. Well done. But generally the big culture question gets established upon hiring the first HR leader or HR professional. So, and, and, and that's okay because now we have somebody in a role that can really help to drive what that's going to, what that's going to turn into. And so for these senior leaders, um, often when we're talking to companies, the challenge that they're facing is that they, they are one of those middle managers you mentioned, um, or they're a new HR leader in an organization that, that really needs to be reshaped from a culture perspective. Often the, the identification of what culture means is typically defined as something around like happy hours or, you know, offsites. And so getting buy-in from those senior leaders is tough enough, but then to say, I really need you to take the lead on this, I can imagine as a really tough situation to be in. Do you have any advice or you know, success stories that you can speak to on that front? Yeah, I, I think that, so those, those um, events that you outlined, happy hour, et cetera, offsites, those are definitely part of culture. But I think that you're right, that we make mistake over-rotating on those and thinking that having those sort of fun events will create a culture. Um, I think that those are a good um, add-on to a really great culture as it stands. But yes, so what I would point to is if, so I've had experiences coming into organizations fairly in the beginning stages. And I can tell that there's, you know, it's important that culture be established pretty quickly or there may be some negative outcomes from it. Um, I think the one piece of um, advice or counsel that I would give to a new HR leader coming into an organization would first be to observe. And what I mean by that is first observe employees, what happens, what goes on on a daily basis, what kinds of behaviors are you witnessing. Um, everything from example of Slack is a great communication tool, particularly in engineering. But I've also seen Slack in and of itself, if it's unmonitored or if the employee population isn't, is unfamiliar with it, I've seen behaviors that I wouldn't necessarily want to emulate within an organization. So, so as an example, observe those things, observe, you know, take part in meetings, take part, you know, basically be a super sleuth for the first, for the beginning. And then I want you to think about really observing the senior leaders, founders, co-founders, CEO, C-level employees. When you're in a meeting with them, how do they behave with each other? How do they engage with each other? How do decisions get made? Do decisions get made? You know, I've been in companies before where we would have a weekly you know, senior management meeting and lots of topics and problems would come up and then the meeting would be over and none of them would be solved and there would be no action item for the solving of them. So just as an example, that's part of a culture that we're creating, right? That there's no accountability and there are no deadlines. So I'd say first be a really, really great observer. And then from there, I think you want to share your results and what you found with the senior leadership of the organization. And then what does that process look like? So after you've observed and you've interacted with these different teams, 
um, without even making judgment, how do you present your findings to, to those senior leaders? Yeah, so it's a good question. So this, <laughs> this is kind of a catch-22. How you do that sort of depends on the established, already established culture of the company. So what I mean by that is, if it's a senior leadership team that is, seems to value communication and transparency and authenticity, then it's probably fine to bring everybody in, in together, you know, maybe the C-level, whatever you would consider the senior management of the company, and to have a discussion about it. Um, however, in a lot of companies, there isn't, you know, there isn't that value of transparent communication. And so in that case, I would really assess who, who I would start with the senior, senior leadership of the company, i.e. probably the CEO, and maybe have a private conversation with her and see, you know, what are her thoughts? How, how does she react to it, et cetera? Do most CEOs agree with you on this, that it is them who should be in charge of shaping the, the culture and taking the lead on it? Or is that something well, that you had to I think on? that's I think that's the job of a really good HR leader yeah. is to establish that trusting relationship with the senior leader in the organization um, and, and really be able to be influential there. When we talked before, you had mentioned um, the, the need for awareness of what the values of the CEO are and what the values of the company kind of have taken form to be. And sometimes these don't align. You mentioned a CEO who maybe values or is really great at certain things, but not other things, but then they think the culture should be the certain way because that's what the industry has said or that, you know, yep. so how, how is that? Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. And, and that's such a great example. For example, in technology, there are a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of awareness around what we would call a fun culture, right? And we have a lot of buzzwords that kind of swim around in our consciousness, transparency and, um, you know, break things fast comes to mind or uh, inclusivity or diversity or, you know, all these kind of words that are sort of um, have had a lot of attention lately. But what I found is that a lot of the technology leaders that I've worked with have communication is perhaps not their strength and transparent communication is perhaps even less of their strength. So, so what I've seen their strength to be is creativity and efficiency and, you know, really um, cutting edge thinking. Right. So, but I see them gravitate and want to hold on to cultural values that they themselves can't really produce. Um, or, 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 or don't produce on a daily basis. So for example, I'll give you a real life example of how it can go wrong. If you have um, a senior leader who is a poor communicator, but talks a lot about transparent, authentic communication, I've worked with people who, you know, they want that, but then they don't, aren't able to produce it. For example, they're very uncomfortable getting up and speaking in front of the whole company. So instead, there are closed door meetings so communication isn't transparent and, and nobody knows what's going on, but yet we talk about that it's a value of our company. So employees are, you know, they're confused by that. It creates a confusing company culture to talk about values that aren't behaved and demonstrated by the senior leadership. I have a similar story in the sense of observing a CEO who really valued um, having everybody in person in the office. Um, but then he often worked from home and and that's fine, right? Like that was his work style. He got the most done when he was able to keep his head down, wasn't as distracted. But when you have that happen and you're preaching one thing, but doing another, it can send the wrong signal. That's one of my favorite ones because you've totally highlighted the situation. What you're actually saying is I only value it 
for myself or people that I consider mature or trustworthy. And so now you've got an even more complicated situation. And that's funny because that's one of the things that I've counseled CEOs about uh, multiple times because there is a tendency for, we want FaceTime, we want everybody in the office, but you have to be careful about what message you send when you say that. As you talk to these CEOs and senior leaders around their values, what, because sometimes our values are what we aspire to be versus what we actually are, is that often the situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody, every employee from an entry-level employee to a CEO has areas of opportunity. And, and that doesn't stop when you get a CEO title. So, so you're 100% right that aspirational values that, that are not being behaved currently really shouldn't be included in the, in the you know, fabric of the culture of an organization. So that's the job, again, of a senior HR business partner to really, to really work with that leader and to try to you know, not only get them to be aware of these areas of opportunity for them, but really help and coach them with those. And I've seen that work really well with senior leaders beyond the CEO. So if there are other C-suite or senior VPs who are coming in with values that you, that maybe are aspirational for one individual, but it's that point of, I need to balance out my team so that we are able to achieve what we're setting forth for the company. And um, if we have these expectations around performance or around behavior um, norms that they're holding each other accountable in order to hold the rest of the company accountable. Absolutely. And that's great modeling for the rest of the company too. Okay. So now you have, again, going back to this mid-level, either HR professional, or often it's a, it's a director or senior um, manager who has a team underneath them. They're starting to form their own team culture and that's okay within an organization, but how can they align this team culture with an overlying company culture that either needs some work? You know, I can imagine Uber had some teams that were performing incredibly well within disorganized culture. Um, so how, how can they start to reach up and try to manage up to get that culture going in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's again, where the HR leadership comes in by establishing a really tight team. So by establishing a tight team of coworkers, colleagues, people who are at the same level within an organization, the challenge there is to try to get those. So what I'm specifically talking about is the C-level suite, COO, CFO, CEO, et cetera, head of marketing. If you can get those employees to work really well together and be establish themselves as a team, that's where you're going to get that, that cascading effect where everyone's on the same page. But it requires a lot of maintenance, a lot of time, a lot of care, and holding people responsible and accountable when they're not behaving and when they're not holding their teams accountable for behaving in those ways. I, I love that. And specifically, as you start to think about um, their, their goal and what they're trying to work toward versus what's actually being perceived by the rest of the company. So they're in the best position to set out those expectations and understand what they're hoping to achieve, build that team. But then how do they, so now we're going back to that C-suite, how do they communicate these expectations down the ranks so that everybody's on board? I know that yeah. sometimes there are misconceptions around what the values actually are, even if they're written out, right? Yeah. What do we actually mean when we say that? Well, I think it's less about communicating and more about modeling. And if you can get that team to see them, literally see themselves as their primary team, then 
you know, for example, if you're the chief marketing officer and I'm the CFO and you and I have a disagreement or a conflict, but you say, you know, I need more money. And I say, okay, let me come up with money from the budget. I'm going to help you. And I'm modeling that, that we're on the same team instead of, you know, finance against everybody else or, you know, what I'm picking on finance, but and they get a bad rap. That's unfortunate. They do get a bad rap. Yeah. Well, they hold the money. So, but you know, if my team and your team sees that we truly have engaged in true teamwork because we are on the same team, it just cascades down. I mean, you don't need to communicate about it. You've, you've modeled it. You've showed, I mean, you should tell your team what's going on, but um, I think that's kind of a real life example. It's the best that, that we hear, right? Being able to show and rather than tell, because so often when you tell a value or tell, you know, an intention, it goes back, back to aspirational goals, right? Where you know, it's not reality. You expect me to achieve this, but, but you're not. So how do we bridge that gap? I absolutely love that. From a modeling perspective though, if we, it, it sounds like that's really the core of building trust. That's where you start to see teams. Absolutely. And the, the reverse of that is also true. When you see it not happening, that's where trust breaks down. And that's probably one of the things that's most detrimental to a company culture is when, when employees can see in authenticity. They can tell when, you know, whatever's been said isn't happening and something's been said, but that person's not doing it. I mean, that's, that is breaking down trust. And that is, you know, I always say, we don't have to say we're going to do it, but if we say we're going to do it, then we have to do it. How do you document this after it's all happened. So now you've had these conversations, you've observed everybody, you're able to start to get to this point where we know where we want to take the conversation. What's the next step toward, you know, yeah, this goes back to modeling, but not telling, but yeah. Yeah. That's a tricky one. I think that, I think that culture by and large is, is the attempt is made to over-document it. And what I mean is there really isn't a, I mean, I would say there are ways to, to lightweight document the culture of the company. But what that means to me really is let's make as simple as we can a few values that we know we want to follow and that we know are important to us. But there shouldn't be, you know, human behavior is the byproduct of observation and, and just being part of a culture. So the whole documentation of it, you know, I do see companies try to over document things, right? They make things overly complicated. They come up with a huge employee handbook or a, you know, these are the, you know, SOP for how you're going to behave as an employee. Um, and I think that is actually a mistake. I'm seeing large companies who used to have great cultures over, um, over document, but also over regulate mm-hmm. how managers should treat their employees. And, and sometimes this is put into place to avoid discrimination, but mm-hmm. I find that when discrimination is going to happen, regulations don't always prevent it. Um, how, how can we backtrack, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. whether it's promotion cycles or pay grades or figuring out, you know, who gets promoted when based on performance or based on all these other things that shapes culture. Mm-hmm. How can companies work to, I'm getting lost in my question here. Yeah. How can they Get work to like to. refine? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so I'm, so I think that you're right that there has been a trend in business and I'll specifically speak to technology for a long time. We had really heavyweight systems, 
policies, procedures, performance management procedures, for example. We had, a, you know, we had a manager who would sit down and write a five-page review for an employee once a year, and, and that would be. But, we're, but the pendulum has swung back, and we really are, as organizations, trying to get back to simplifying and lighter weight processes and procedures and all of that. So I always counsel, you know, companies that I work with, I generally say, you don't, you know, if you don't have to make a rule or a policy around it, then don't, right? And so really when you, when you boil it down, there are very few that you have to, I mean, of course we have employment attorneys and of course HR, you know, there are all these laws in California in particular that we have to follow. Um, but for the most part, I really, really am a fan of simplifying everything that we can to the extent that we can. So I'm not really sure I answered your question because it's a complicated one and there is no easy answer. And it sounds like it starts early rather than late. I'm, where I'm witnessing this is often in large companies where they're spinning out side projects and side teams that can't operate effectively, you know, startups within a larger organization. And it's really tough if you are trying to create this new company culture within your small team, you know, these yeah. are projects on the side, when you have such heavy bureaucracy that everybody needs to follow, like it really does shape the culture. So being mindful as you're putting those rules into place, it really does. And it's counterintuitive, particularly in technology, because it's using a whole different part of your brain. If we're encouraging creativity and optimization and efficiency and speed, it's counterintuitive. From somebody who's joining a new organization, and this is getting slightly off topic, but what should they be looking for in the leaders of that organization when they're thinking through what the culture might be like in reality versus what the recruiter is telling them? Yeah, that is such a great question. And people ask me this all the time. And I will say it's really simple. How does your body feel when you're talking to these people? How do you feel when you're interviewing? When you visit the campus for the first time, how, how do you feel? Do you feel like it's a place that you want to come back to or a place that you're drawn to? Do you feel like the questions that people are asking you are interesting and, you know, kind and do they seem like people you want to work with um do you do you, does the product resonate with you do you care about the product right is it something that you would be proud to tell your family that you work on i mean all of those pieces of information are more important than you know i see a lot of people over rotate on salary or benefits or those kinds of things but those things have very little to do with your the actual enjoyment of you working for that company day in and day out do you have any final thoughts on, you know, moving through culture from a high level down to the nitty gritty? Like what are, what are some takeaways yeah. you would love our audience to, to walk away yeah. with? Yeah. So I'll sum it up really easily. Let's just say you're a new HR business partner and you're coming into an organization and your job is to fix culture. So start by observing. We talked about that. Start by observing the CEO, figure out the things that he does really, really well. The things that made him the CEO of the company right? So maybe he's brilliant, or maybe he's such a talented engineer, um, or maybe he's, maybe he's really funny. Find out what those things are and watch him as he engages and behaves with the rest of the employees and see if you can't shine a spotlight on those things and get others to value them too, right? And those can become the values because guess what? They already are. If your senior leader is behaving in those ways and values those things, and it's their company, then you're, you're, you're head and shoulders above the competition because you've already got a path to alignment there. That's great. And, and as they move forward within the company and continue to shape that, do you, do you recommend that they always go back to that CEO and the leader and what they're hoping to achieve? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think at some point there's an opportunity for you to bring in more senior leaders. Uh, you know, once a company gets to a certain size, many of the senior leaders are going to be very important. Um, but I think that the job is to, as you, senior HR partner, is to get, make sure that you're consistently observing the behaviors and making sure that they're in alignment with the behaviors of the company. And so if you're, if you're hiring, all decisions are, you know, that's kind of the, the basis for how you're making hiring decisions. It's the base. Are you, if people aren't following those values, are you disciplining them? Are you holding them accountable? Um, if managers aren't be, you know, it needs to be how people behave within the organization. I like the, the mention of how do you hold people accountable to it? Because if there aren't any repercussions for, for behaviors that don't align with the culture, then you start to get into this world where culture is changing and you have no control over it. That's exactly right. But how do you find the balance of not trying to control too much versus, right? Yeah. And again, it comes down to individual employees and individual situations. And, you know, some of them are really easy, right? If honesty is transparent, communication is one of the values and you find an employee who's been hiding or keeping information from the organization, that's a pretty easy one. Some of them are more difficult, right? Like kindness. How do you hold people accountable to kindness, right? And, and that's a trickier one. And I think that might be a, a level two kind of a conversation. <laughs> This has been a great conversation, and I think one where, you know, if individuals are hoping to shape the culture, often it's, it feels like a struggle. If you're coming in and you don't feel like you have the control, and I think to your point, going back, taking this back to the senior leaders, taking this back to the people who really hold the cards to influence and shape the direction of the company is such a valuable lesson. So I appreciate you walking us through it. Where can our listeners find you? Well, thank you for that. Um, I, my, your listeners can find me um, on my website, which is jenniferpeatman.com. Um, I also have a very large Instagram following on Jennifer Peatman Coaching. Um, and then you can just look me up on LinkedIn um, or feel free to email me at jenniferpeatman at gmail.com. And do you, thank you. And do you have any resources that you tend to go to, either books or podcasts that you lean on for your guidance? Gosh, that's a great question. Oh, so much. Um, I didn't give time? you a warning. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, that's okay. That's okay. Let me just quickly think on the spot. So I have some go-to books for culture. I'm a huge fan of like StrengthsFinder 2.0. Um, I love, I love, um, and again, this is with my executive coaching hat on. I love um, resources that help people with team building. So for example, I, I, my personal belief is that team building is done through vulnerability. So I follow all of Brene Brown and all of her wonderful research. Um, so those kinds of things, things that make people vulnerable to each other and make them a little bit uncomfortable. Um, those are my, those are my go-to things. Do you do workshops within companies for vulnerability or any of I do. Topics? I do. Yeah, I do. It's one of my favorite things to do. Well, so if you're listening, Jen Peeman can come to a workshop for your company. Just reach out to her on LinkedIn. Um, Jen, thanks again for being here. I appreciate you making the time. You are welcome. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To learn more, check out getmarlow.com slash podcast.